This is a sermon brought to you by Good News Bible Church, where we believe we should love God, love others, and make disciples. We are located in Chicago's Logan Square neighborhood and invite you to join our family live every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. as we praise and worship with songs and learn about God through the study of the Bible. You can visit our website at goodnewschi.org. That's goodnewschi.org. Let's turn now to hear what the Word of God has for us this week. Please uh, join me in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we come before you, trusting full well, Lord, that you actively speak to your people, that you are not an inactive God, sitting on the throne, just watching us go through life idly by. If anything, we're the ones, the inactive ones, we're the ones that are passive in the life that you have bestowed upon us and the breath in which you give. God, I pray as we get into today's text that we see that all the more. And Father, I pray that when we leave here, that we will leave, God, understanding that worship begins Monday through Saturday. Father, not when we feel like it and not when we want. And forgive us when we do it this way, when we serve you in this way, Heavenly Father. You definitely did not withhold your son. And you definitely did not withhold yourself. God, we ask, Lord, um, that you speak today. Lord, we pray for the um, Sunday school workers as they, the God's kids workers and the nursery workers, as they invest into our, our little ones that are the future, that are the kingdom. We pray that you fill them with your spirit. We pray that the children will be attentive and interested and that souls will be one. Lord, and future ministers and laborers of the faith will um, come to pass. To you and to you alone, to your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> we all like a good story. Stories are a common thing in our society. However, what connotates a, as a good story in our society that it has to have a happy ending. If it doesn't have a happy ending, at least in our country, in American society, it's not a good story. Or it's not a good movie. There has to be a happy ending. However, for those of us that are here, whether those of us that are here know Christ or we don't know Christ, we know something that is the truth. That life is not always full of happy endings. Sometimes the end for some of us or those that we've seen can be cruel, tragic, hard, and confusing. For those that even do know Christ and for those that don't know. Happy endings, in some sense, are not entirely true. I remember an interesting response back in the day from one of the men in a men's group that I served in the past. And we were studying uh, the book of Daniel chapter 3 about uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego um, about to get thrown into the fiery furnace. And in Daniel chapter 3 verse 18, it points out something very interesting. And what it points out is that these men were ready to die for their faith. They were not entirely expected to be saved from the furnace. 
And if this were to be the case, if this were to happen for them, it would have not been a happy ending. Going back to the group, and we were talking about this study, and we discussed this text of Daniel 3.18 and of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego prepared with the possibility of dying in the furnace, I asked the men, I said, so if we see this here in God's word, where do we get the notion, the idea in the church as God's people that we are to have a happy ending? And one of the men gave an interesting response. I said, where? Where? And then one of the men raised their hand and said, Disney. Disney. Disney is where... Movies like, uh, things like Disney and, and all these other movies and companies is where we get this idea, even in the church. You see, because presently we live in a Genesis 3 world, and we know that the consequence of sin is death. This is our story. But even knowing this, that we've fallen, that we failed, somehow... Even though we know that we are entitled to death and not entitled to Christ, we still believe that we are entitled to our happy ending. In many ways, we often strive for this happy ending in what we are headed towards. Perhaps in graduating from a high school, landing the perfect job, earning a raise, getting X amount of money in our bank accounts meeting that special someone, getting married, having kids. We as a church are prone to lose our way and think and not realize that these things are not what we're headed towards. What we are supposed to be headed towards and what our eyes are supposed to be fixated on is to a person. It is to Jesus. And you see, as we're headed toward him, nowhere in God's word does he promise us a happy ending in this life. As a matter of fact, he tells us that tomorrow is not promised. Let me share with you a poem, a brief poem that my little brother wrote. It goes like this. God did not promise life without pain, joy without sorrow, or sun without rain. But God did promise strength for the day, comfort for tears, a light for the way, and for those who believe in his kingdom above, God answers their faith with infinite love. Christ promised his kingdom, not our happy ending. For Jesus' present reign is our future destiny. Jesus' present reign is our future destiny. Today's text is in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. And as you know, that, as many of you know, as you've been coming here, we've been going through Old Testament prophecies. And the Old Testament prophecy is that the Messiah will be humbled in order to serve mankind. Today's text is Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. And you see, Jesus' present reign is our 
future destiny and his supremacy will one day be made clear. And his supremacy will one day be made clear. A little bit of the background of the book of Hebrews. It's geared towards describing and explaining the whole book about Christ's priesthood, Christ as a priest. Throughout the book, Christ's priesthood is summed up in three words. Better, perfect, and eternal. Better, perfect, and eternal. The book of Hebrews gives us much insight into the new covenant in which we discuss. We do not realize fully what we have in Christ, in the new covenant, in our salvation, in Christ, who is salvation. In today's text, Hebrews chapter 2, we will touch primarily on how Christ is better or superior. The word better is used many times throughout Hebrews. That Christ is better than the angels, Hebrews 1.4. Christ is better than the prophets, Hebrews 1, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. That he is a better hope, Hebrews 7, verse 19. And he is a better mediator of a better covenant, Hebrews 8.6. Christ is better. He is better. And an aspect that we see that he is better or superior is that in his supremacy, that it will be made clear that he is not limited by our present human likeness. Present human likeness. Point A, Christ's supremacy will be made clear that he is not limited by our present human likeness. If you recall, in the summer, we uh, went over... uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, and we've discussed that we have eternity in our hearts. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1. And we've touched on the fact that we, again, do not realize what we have in our new covenant, in our salvation in Christ. And in today's text, we will again see that Christ redeems us to restore us back to himself. This means that when we look at today's text, when it talks about humans and us as men and women, that we cannot look at it simply in our depraved, fallen nature. And you'll see what I mean as I go on. We have to look at it at who we were originally made for, who we were meant to be before the fall. It can baffle us that this idea of Jesus, the Son of God, became one of us. Becoming human, as in the way the author of Hebrews depicts Jesus in contrast to the angels. This text shows that Christ isn't simply a man or another angel. He is something more, something far more, better, superior. Read with me verse 5. And as it says, 4. It was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. Verse 5 begins with a conjunction, for. And if you know and you study God's word, you know you have to always ask, what's the for there for? 
This is evidently connected to verses 1 through 4, the verses prior, which continue to expound on the explanation of being neglectful of the message we have heard through God's word and not ignorant to, and our salvation, the gospel, the new covenant we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And the author of Hebrew compares in this, these verses of the Old Testament how it's a, when a very important message was given in the times past through angels. And then by his son in verse 3, which is the premise of these verses, to not neglect the truth in which you heard. When neglecting our salvation, neglecting Jesus will result to drifting and wandering. We either use it or lose it. Like all things in life, we either use it or lose it. Some of you remember back in our December of 2021, I had um, a labrum tear and I had a surgery and I had to be in a cast. And um, there was a time, a couple times when I had to preach in, um, in this cast and um, the doctor and the physical therapist, they were very um, strict with me. You cannot use your arm. You have to let it rest. You got to let it heal. You got to give it time. And I was eager to use it because, you know, I don't consider myself like this gym person, but I do like to be physically active. I do want to care for this temple that God has given me in this life. And so, you know, he said, you know, you have to, you can't use it. And so I, I, I didn't use my arm and all the activity that I was accustomed to doing, I couldn't do. And I had to switch to doing a bunch of light activity through physical therapy. And because of the neglect of my arm, um, all this, something called atrophy. My arm started to jiggle, get soft. It was unusable almost. And uh, it was completely different. And I had to neglect my arm and it began to get soft and the tissues and not as hard and hard as it once was prior to my surgery. And you see, I would say in that same way, when we neglect our salvation, what is quite common in the universal church, and even here at Good News, is we develop a spiritual atrophy. Where we take our salvation for granted, and it fades, and we just go through the motions, and let it just dwindle, and we drift, and we wander, and we stay stagnant. And see, in our neglect, when we allow it to become stale, redundant, limiting our worship to God only to Sundays, that's not what our salvation is meant for. That's not what we're meant for. We're meant for more. John Piper says a quote on this text. He says this. He said, it would be spiritual suicide to neglect such a great salvation. But church, we do it all the time. We neglect. We drift. We trade what is good, what is better, for something that is far worse all the time. For Christ, we neglect. We commit spiritual suicide. Verse 6, read with me. Verses 6 to um, 8, 8b. What is man? And in this text, he starts to quote the prophecy in um, Psalms 8. What is man that you are mindful of him? 
or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. Verse 8, putting everything in subjection under his feet. I'm going to stop there at that portion of verse 8. Again, what we see here is quoted is Psalm 8. And in this psalm, David is describing a world that was before the fall of man. Before sin. Before confusion. Something that we know that before the fall, as is pointed out here, that in this text that God placed the world in subjection to man, to humans, to Adam. He was in charge of the Garden Garden of Eden, and he was in charge of the animals. He had rule. God gave man. He created man in his image to have rule, to be in charge. And in verse 5, before the author of Hebrews quotes Psalms 8, he compares man to the angels. And you see, here's an interesting thing. We as humans have a a little bit of a tendency to be fascinated with angels, sometimes too much. And the Bible doesn't tell us too much about angels. Because, see, to God, not to say that we are less than the angels and the angels are less than us, but to God, we are more of a bigger deal in God's word than the angels. And here's a couple passages that point that out. 1 Peter 1, 12, it says, It was revealed to them, to the prophets, it's referencing, right, Peter, that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have been announced to, to, to you through those who preach the good news, to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels long to look. And 1 Corinthians 6, 3, the Apostle Paul says this, Do you not know that we are to judge angels? We are to judge angels. Isn't that interesting? How much more than matters pertaining to life? And what's that about? I guess we won't know until we're there, right? And see, and then we see here in the book of Hebrews that God did not subject the world to angels, but to us. But to us. This was part of God's original design for us. In his image. And sin destroyed this design. However, God in Christ is not limited by our fall, by our present human state. Unlike us, when we create something that is defected or no longer serving its intended purpose, we throw it away. We start all over. We replace it with something else new and upgraded. Unlike us, Christ doesn't do this. God doesn't do this. Christ redeems us to restore us back to God. He doesn't see us as defective. Even now, he sent his son Jesus to redeem us, to restore us back to him. And Jesus' present reign is our future destiny. We're headed toward something, somewhere, someone. And it isn't to a marriage. It isn't to your bank account. It isn't to all this land you acquired and this stuff in this life. And whether you realize it or not, it's to a person. It's to a kingdom. It's to another world. 
It's Jesus, church. And even though presently we have lost this rule, we've lost it. The world is not subjected to us. We are scared of the tiger. We have to train our pets to listen. The birds in the air will bless our vehicles with their markings. And sometimes even the top of our heads, if we're not being watchful. I've seen it happen. I've seen this guy flirting with all these women that weren't his wife. And God had a marking landed on his head. I was like, bro, you deserve that, man. You need to stop. You need to stop. But the point is the world isn't subjected to us like it was originally designed. The birds in the air leave their markings, and this is a result of the fall. That and permit parking in Chicago. It's a result of the fall. At least that's my opinion. I don't know what yours is. And yet, even in this, God, who does not see us as defected because of our fallen state, desires to use us, redeem us, restore us back to him. And in Christ, that his supremacy is not limited at our present human likeness, but he is limitless in his dominion. Point B, Christ's supremacy will be made clear that he is limitless in his dominion. Let's go to the second half of verse 8. Read with me. 8b. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him. So in the human eye, what we see presently really isn't good if that's the only eye we're going to look at. And when we head toward what we see that isn't good, it will not be, it will not be a promise that is assured. We will not have our Disney happy ending. We're not promised that kind of ending here in this life if that is what we think we're headed toward. It is not always sunshine and rainbows. It isn't. It isn't. We live in a broken world of broken promises, of broken systems, of broken people that attempt to place all things in subjection to themselves and somehow still lack peace, fulfillment, and purpose. You see, church, we're not to head toward this. The things in this life aren't our destination. We must stay the course and not be distracted. The Apostle Paul put it best in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. While we do not see or look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And prior to verse 18, he starts off in 16, he says, do not lose hearts. Focus on not what is temporary, but focus on what is eternal. Focus on Christ. So when you feel that a promise has been broken to you through a broken system, through broken people, regardless, in that moment of discouragement, abandonment, disheartening, remember that Christ is better. 
And that is who we're moving toward. We are not to neglect our salvation. The message of God in Christ, which in times past has been spoken through the prophets, through the law, through the angels, through the Son of God. And now we hear him presently through his word, through God's word. When we spend time with him and reading his word consistently, when we pray to him, and have his word in our hearts. That is how we hear him. Christ's supremacy is existent and his dominion is limitless despite a broken world. With broken systems. Full of broken people. With broken promises. Verse 9 gives us the answer. Read with me verse 9 please. But we see him. Him who? Jesus, and it tells us this later, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the sufferings of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So your broken promises, your broken friends, your brokenness in of itself, Jesus is the answer. And in your brokenness, somehow we're able to see Jesus. That Jesus Christ, who became the man, became man that he might suffer and die for man's sin and restore dominion that was lost because of sin. You see, because when Christ was here on earth, he proved his dominion. How? He showed it over the fish. He showed it over the birds in the air. And uh, the birds, um, the birds um, on land. And over the wild beasts. And over every type of domesticated beast. As the last Adam, Jesus restored man's lost dominion. Today, everything is, is under his feet. Whether we see it or not, as the author of Hebrews tells us, it is. It is. And you see, before Genesis 3, man was crowned with glory and honor. But we lost this because of sin. But yet Jesus Christ, God sent Jesus Christ to redeem us, to restore us back to him. In order to regain that glory and honor. One day when he establishes his kingdom, we shall reign with him in glory and honor. And he did not see us, again, he did not see us as defected or traded us in or broken and replaceable because of God's grace. He had become man and died and even tasted death. For he is limitless and is his supremacy. And his dominion. So in closing, a couple questions for reflection. What are the things, first question, what are the things we have allowed to rule our lives over God? What things have we lived our life here in earth that we see as better than Christ? And how do we give dominion back to Christ? You see, even though 
Presently, we may have lost it all due to our fallen nature. The author of Hebrews contrasts us to angels in saying we are a little lower. But you see, according to this text, God did not give angels dominion, as was mentioned earlier, but us, humans, created in his likeness. We also know that angels are ministering spirits and technically cannot die. But see, presently in our fallen nature, we do die. We die because we wrestle with sin. So if you know somebody that died because of cancer or died because something was wrong, a brain aneurysm, or because they got shot, it's not entirely due to that disease. We weren't entirely meant for that. It's because of sin. Sin is ultimately, and not because they're in sin, but because in this fallen state, our life is temporary. And we are not presently living to our fullest capacity. We were not meant to die. We were meant for more. God in Christ, who created us in his image. Yet... He values us and he sees us. And the author of Hebrew quotes Psalms 8. And if I could quote it again, but starting with Psalms 8 verse 3, I'm going to read it to you. When I look, this is David. Imagine King David as a shepherd boy looking at all of the creation. And he says, when I look at heaven, the work of your fingers. This is verse 3 I'm reading. The moon, the stars you have set in place. It's beautiful, it's glorious, it is grand. And then verse 4, David asks this question. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? You see, in the midst of all creation, the moon, the stars, and everything else that is beautiful and grand and glorious, God sees you. He knows you. He is mindful of you to care for you. The pinnacle of his creation, not the stars, not the moon. And in Christ, he sent Christ to redeem us, to restore us back to him. Paul puts it this way in Galatians 5. 16 through 18. <laughs> but I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And see, even though we've lost dominion, God in Christ is not limited to our current human states. And again, when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, we, uh, my, my wife's old youth pastor put it this way, we have two natures, right? We have two natures. And it's not so much the good and the bad. It's the flesh and the spirits. And he illustrated, my wife's old youth pastor illustrated it this way. It's like if you have two dogs, two pet dogs, 
And you, some of you heard me use this illustration before. If you have two pet dogs, and one dog is a good dog, and one dog is a bad dog, and they constantly get in a fight with each other, but the dog you feed the most, you give the most food to, most likely that's going to be the dog that wins. So if I have two dogs, and I give all my food, and I feed mostly the bad dog, and they get in a fight, the bad dog is going to win. But if the good dog and the bad dog, they fight, and I feed the good dog, the good dog is going to win. Church, God is mindful of you. How are we mindful of him in our salvation? What is it that we're feeding? Are we feeding our flesh or the spirit? Do not commit spiritual suicide, as John Piper says. Do not neglect your salvation. Do not neglect the word that you're no longer ignorant to. For Jesus is our destination. Question two, why is it important to live our lives with the mindset of the supremacy of Christ? Why? Why is it important? What do you see when you look to the left and the right, sitting here now? What do you see when you look outside the church walls? What do you see when you look to your families, your friends, your neighbors? What do you see? Do you see chaos, disarray? Do you see a broken system, a broken people that have lost control and trying to make things subjected to him? But somehow, even in this brokenness and in your broken self, do you see Jesus? See, earlier when I talked about um, my arm and um, atrophy and having spiritual atrophy and the fading and the uselessness of, of, of my arm, at some point I had to, to get back into a routine of using my arm again. And it was a struggle because even much after, later after I finished physical therapy, I acquired somehow this state of mind of laziness, this state of mind of sluggishness, this state of mind of unhealthy eating. <laughs> and and then so it was very difficult to transition back to where I once was before. And something that I was doing prior to my surgery that I'm trying to get back into, there's an author, uh, an author I'm sorry, an actor by the name of, name of Mark Walburn. And he came up with something about five years ago, maybe this was before him, but this is the first time I heard of it, called the 4 a.m. club. The 4 a.m. club, and basically this article came out about Mark Walburn about what he's doing when you're sleeping at 4 a.m. And basically what Mark Walburn is doing is he's getting it in. He's going to the gym, exercising, getting into shape. And prior to my surgery, I was back to it. I mean, I was back to it. That's where I was. And, and I struggled with getting back into the 4 a.m. club. And, you know, the reason why I want you to know I'm bringing that up is not to sound boastful, so forgive me if I come up this way. But, you know, when you're a father of four sons and a, 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 a husband and working a job and doing ministry, you have to go through extremes to make time for what is important. And for me, I had to go through an extreme to make time to take care of myself, such as working at five, I mean, waking up at 4 a.m. to exercise. So where am I going with this? To accomplish this is more than 
being physically active. It's a state of mind. It's a state of mind. That's where it starts. And see, and just like the spiritual atrophy, there's also another word called the opposite of atrophy called hypertrophy. And what that means is the strengthening of muscles. And you see, church, even though us as a church can fall into spiritual atrophy, how would it look if we engaged in spiritual hypertrophy? Where in our state of mind, where we're in God's word, getting up, praying with people, serving, active in our fellowship with each other, active in our prayer life. Where will we be as individuals, as a church, if we engage in spiritual hypertrophy? And it has to be beyond just the gospel, beyond just saying Christ is my Lord and Savior, even though that is sufficient, but there's more to it. It's more than just, then we just have a, a limited view of seeing Christ and adopting call, something called the sugar daddy gospel. Where the church, God has to do what I want, when I want it, and if he doesn't do it, then I'm not going to serve him anymore. That's not the life we're called to. We're called at times to live in a life of suffering, in a world full of brokenness. And even in this broken world, to see somehow when we engage and are active, to be able in our faith, in our walk, and not neglecting our salvation, and not being limited, and but seeing Christ at limitless, as limitless in his supremacy and his dominion. In this is what we are called to do. This is what we are headed towards. Let me read to you Romans 8, verses 16 through 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if, and if children, then heirs, then heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in this life in order that we may be glorified with him. That we may be glorified with him, church. That is our destination. That is our future destiny. This is what we are headed toward. For Jesus' present reign is our future destiny. And this is man's story in God's glory. Pray with me, church. Heavenly Father, we confess, Lord, that as a church corporately, we get too caught up to the left and our right, into quarrels in this life and into division over things not being done our way or not getting what we want. Father, we pray, God, that even in our sluggishness, that in Christ, you've given us another day to redeem us and to restore us back to you. Father, we pray, convict our hearts to be proactive in our faith, 
to be proactive in our walk, to be proactive in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain, in the midst of anguish and torments, and find an unexplainable joy that comes through Jesus, as it says in verse 9. But we see Jesus somehow still seeing Jesus, who is ever-present, ever-faithful, and ever-active. We have lost we have lost our way. Help us, church, help us, God, as a church to bring us back to you. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a presentation of Good News Bible Church, where we equip people to love God, love others, and make disciples. To help support our mission, please visit our online giving portal through our website at www.goodnewschai.org.